Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of the Rotor World Football Podcast. As you know, the train goes by here in my apartment because I can't afford a better apartment. And you're also listening. It's the most important podcast in the universe. My name is Josh Norris. Later on, I will have Pat and Ray with me to break down the later game on Sunday, which is at 630 Eastern between the Patriots and the Chiefs. First up, it's Evan Silva, who will break down the Rams and the Saints game before we get started. Evan has his matchups column up on Rotoworld. Go check that out. Ray and Rich have a betting column up on Rotoworld, so go and check that out. I also have a bunch of draft content up from East West Shrine Week, and also coming up, Senior Bowl Week is next week. Um, that's over on the college football section and the NFL section. Some really, really fun players that I was texting Evan about all weekend. Um, it's that time of year. But before we get to full-on draft season, again, we got to have these championship games. Um, Evan, we saw this Rams-Saints game earlier in the year. I believe that one was also in New Orleans. First, just give us like your generic thoughts, I guess, on how the Rams have gotten here and how the Saints have gotten here. Yeah, the defensive turnaround for the Saints has been key to their path to the NFC Championship game. The Rams' defense never really turned around. You know, and getting back Aqib Tlaib, it's made their personnel better. But, I mean, their defense, I think, is still vulnerable. Even last week, you know, Dak Prescott averages well over eight yards per eight yards per attempt. Um, they did a great job defending the run. As we, we kind of alluded to, that that might be the case based on the matchups on the interior against the Cowboys, which they, they were depleted. You know, we, we talked about Xavier Suafilo the Cowboys being forced to turn back to Connor Williams at left guard, who they had previously benched. You know, Joe Looney has not been particularly good at center. And Zach Martin had uh, missed time and just not been as effective due to MCL sprains in both of his knees. Now the Rams are going to face a Saints interior offensive line that is quite a bit better with Max Unger and uh, Larry Warford and, um, Andrews Pete. Andrews Pete is a little bit of a liability. I yeah, think, he struggled last week. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, he got called for a bunch of penalties, uh, and he has dealt with uh, – he had hand surgery, and he's playing with a big wrap on his hand. So he is a concern, but 
all in all, I mean, this has been one of the best offensive lines in the league now for multiple years. They're near full strength, and I th- and and being at home, you know, they they're going to have the the crowd advantages and all that that goes into that that really has the biggest impact, I think, on offensive line play. So I think that the the Saints are, you know, when I broke this game down, you know, going through like every single position, how teams have, how the teams have performed uh, most recently, you know, where can one team attack the other team successfully and where, you know, where are teams weak? I I really came away thinking that the Saints are the clearly superior team. And I'm worried about Jared Goff. Um, I know Jared Goff, like even last week, it wasn't really necessary for him to make any big plays. I think he had two to three good throws, right? But Sean McVay, again, is so good at creating open receivers down the field. And we know that inside of structure, Goff is exceptional at hitting those receivers in a clean situation. Evan, I am a little bit concerned with the Saints defense, though, because they did just lose Sheldon Rankins, obviously, who mm-hmm. was kind of their interior presence. I think David Onyemata is an, an interesting maybe progressing player, but on the outside, we're going to need someone if the saints are going to to top the Rams to really step up and, and create disruption other than Cameron mm-hmm. Jordan. And they've had that at times with Marcus Davenport. Yeah. And I think that their, their interior, their guys on the interior are underrated behind Sheldon Rankins and okay. they've, they've played big roles. First of all, you can move Cameron Jordan inside. He's going to play inside in this game they can move uh, Alex Okafor into the lineup and he plays Cameron Jordan's position and then Cameron Jordan can move inside um the other guys on the interior David Anyamata uh do you remember when he when he was coming out he was yep, a, a he was a shrine game guy he's from Canada correct yes big time uh, spark athlete yep and he's he's really had a breakout year for them uh they've also got Tyler Davison from uh, Fresno State kind of kind of like a designated, you know, he's, he's like a nose tackle. Mm-hmm. And then Taylor Stallworth, uh, undrafted rookie out of South Carolina, can't move okay. at all. But, <laughs> you know, he's like he's the, the fire hydrant okay. uh, so, sort of guy. You know, you, you remember your boy Josh Chapman. He's yeah. maybe what, what you wanted Josh Chapman to be. Pour one out. Uh, yeah, pour one out. But um, what, what we all wanted Josh Chapman to be. But, uh, he, you know, he's going to play a bigger role in this game. The, the Saints have been awesome in run defense all year long. Uh, they really limited Todd Gurley in these teams' first meeting. And the, the Rams, you know, one of the things that really makes their, their, uh, their running game go is that is because they play so much 11 personnel with three receivers on the field, that prevents their offense from having to face eight men in the box. But not only have the Saints been dominant Overall, in run defense, they've allowed the second fewest yards per carry in the NFL against 11 personnel runs. Hmm. Um, and I think that we can attribute a lot to that, a lot of that to their athleticism at linebacker with Demario Davis and Alex Anzalone in particular. Evan, you mentioned the Saints being so good against the run. That's interesting because on the opposite side of the field, the Rams, I'm not going to say that for years and years, Wade Phillips hasn't cared about stopping the run. But for years and years and years, it seems like what Wade Phillips hasn't cared about stopping the run. Right. It's just not a priority. And I think that that's that's smart, you know, in general. Now, when you face a team like the Cowboys, it becomes more of a priority, you know, um, and it's it's going to be a priority against the Saints. But, 
that it's all easier said than done, man. You, you know, especially against a, an offensive line that is so strong and, and two backs. I mean, Mark Ingram played his tail off last week, you know, and he's kind of an afterthought at this point. He only got 11 touches. Alvin Kamara had uh, 20 last week and in in close games consistently Alvin Kamara has been the clear feature back and then when they get up big Mark Ingram tends to have his bigger games um I don't do you think this is going to be a close game I kind of think that it's going to be a two-score win for the Saints wow see I, I I I really can't go there like I think this Rams offense is that good and I am I'm honestly nervous Evan about the Saints creating enough disruption up front. I am. I mean, look how slow they started last weekend against the Eagles, you know? Like, you can't start that slowly against the Rams at all. Um, I will tell you why I love football, Evan, and I love football because C.J. Anderson makes me love football during this time of year, you know? (laughs) A, A player who signed with the Panthers back in June for a cheap deal after he got cut from the Broncos, right? Then looked decent when given an opportunity, but then there were games and stretches where he didn't even see the ball with the Panthers, gets cut, probably asked for his release, then goes Oakland, gets cut like a week later, and then was picked up, obviously, when Todd Gurley went down with an injury. And all he does, Evan, is rack up like 120-plus rushing yards and look like Mike Tolbert up the middle of the field. And it's, it's just a lot of fun to watch a player who had just ups and downs and a roller coaster and so many unknowns. Like he probably set up at night, like wondering, okay, is this it? Is this my career? And now 120 plus yards, like in back to back to back games. And he's become like a really significant piece of this Rams team. Evan. And I know that Todd Gurley like hasn't been on the injury report, but last week there were plenty of periods where CJ Anderson was the best running back on the field for the Rams. Yeah. I mean, he's looked like, you know, Jerome Bettis began his career with the Rams and, you know, they're, they, they've used that, the, uh, the, the uniform that, um, you know, was that Jerome in 1972 Bettis, <laughs> that Jerome Bettis entered the league wearing. And, um, he looks an awful lot like Jerome Bettis. He's 35. Jerome Bettis was 36, you know, in terms of their numbers. Hmm. Um, I, I want to talk about Jared Goff with you though, uh, Josh, because I always get nervous about this. He's been he, he's he's been bad on the road this year. Ten touchdowns and nine interceptions. Uh, he's lost a lot of production uh, on a per play basis since Cooper Cup went out. Yep. Um, he, uh, you know, and I think that the like Sean McVay has kind of called plays to hide him recently. I mean, this is a team that has over forty rushing attempts over its last three games. One hundred and thirty one rushing attempts compared to eighty one pass attempts during that span and look a lot of that is because you know they they've they've had leads etc but you know I, I i think that right now I, i'm i'm concerned that sean mcveigh might not trust jared goff and that it's for good reason um what do you like how do you think that jared goff if they stop the running game which they've been able to stop pretty much every running game game that they face good point and they turn this into a jared goff dependent game i think yeah. that that's clear advantage saints yeah, I, I think when you put it that way, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you consider where the Saints create and maximize and opportunities is in their secondary, right? Like Marcus Williams plays the ball pretty well. You know, Marcus Lattimore has come down with some pivotal interceptions. Um, even at times this year, Eli Apple has had some really, really good plays, and Demario Davis covers a lot of ground at, at, at linebacker. And it, it kind of comes down to when Cooper Cup left, and I don't want to point it to there, 
because um, there have been changes along the way as well. Like, in I know that the Saint, uh, the the Rams offensive line has started every single game as a unit together, but as we've talked about, there were periods of time when players went out with injuries, and when Jared Goff feels pressure, things go wonky, things go hey, like he is the ultimate. I wouldn't say ultimate, but inside of structure in a clean situation, he's magical in terms of mm-hmm. his arm on bucket throws at every level of the field. And he can whip it in there, you know, like these, these can be big windows he's throwing to, but either him or McVay recognizing who the player is going to be that's open and getting to, to them inside a structure in rhythm, things go wonky when he's pressured, when he's disrupted. Mm-hmm. I, it, it all comes down to me, Evan, to get that disruption and to get that pressure. And we've seen Cameron Jordan do that by himself a lot and, I'm not saying that the Saints might have thought that, hey, this is the game we're going to need Marcus Davenport so we go up and trade for him. But if that ever was the case, like this is the game that Marcus Davenport has to show up and and show why he was worthy of two first-round picks. And a, a thing that you've spoken about a lot on this podcast is how Jared Goff, you look, you look at like his time to attempt, his time to throw, it's right up there with the mobile quarterbacks. All of the mobile know? quarterbacks. Right. <laughs> and so, and the Saints finished top five in sacks. I understand they don't have Sheldon Rankins. They finished top five in sacks. They finished top nine in quarterback hits. They finished top five in quarterback pressures at home. Yeah. Um, and I think that they still have plenty of, you know, very much enough firepower to give, you know, Austin Blythe and, and maybe Havenstein and, you know, uh, John Sullivan problems uh, in terms of creating pressure and just being in that dome in front of the home crowd. Yeah. You know, and then if things start to go wrong, like, Jer- you know, we talked last week about how Nick Foles has been had been getting the ball out of his hands at the quickest rate in the NFL over his previous four starts and he did have some 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 success certainly early in the game I think they would have won the game if Alshon Jeffrey would have caught that pass uh, at the end instead of you know dropping it and letting it go go to uh, to Marshawn Lattimore but you know it's just they play at a very different a very different style than the Eagles um, and I think that it could be detrimental to the Rams offense. Evan, if you tell me that Drew Brees is able to connect on two big Ted Ginn plays, then I'm with you that they win by two scores. Because, like, that, to me, that was a major reason why that game last week against the Eagles was so close, was that he underthrew Ted Ginn on that opening yep. play, you know, because that was a touchdown. I know. That was a touchdown. And there were other times when they had some downfield options and it just didn't work out for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm, I'm buying, not buying the, into the narrative, but bringing up the narrative here, Evan, that, I mean, Drew Brees turns 40 this week. Have we seen him decline a little bit with his downfield passing skills? I feel like we've discussed this, you know, for the last three years. And I think that there is probably like a little bit of shred, you know, a shred of truth to it. It's just last week, the Ginn thing was like, I mean, you know, one more foot of lift on that throw and Ginn's getting it. I don't know. I mean, it was a, it was a far throw downfield. It's one throw. Right. And I just, I I just, I just don't, I just don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, if you if you give Drew Brees that throw 10 times, I think that he probably still hits it seven or eight times. Um, I I also love that Sean Payton thinks that Ted Ginn is good at football because Ted Ginn is good at football. (laughs) Also, Evan, I I need to bring up this name. 
I need to bring up Taysom Hill because I don't think I've asked you about him all season long. Ugh. What? Yeah. What do you think? What's your reaction when you're watching these games? And in like a second and seven situation, they bring in Taysom Hill and run exclusive plays just for him. I, I hate it. I mean, <laughs> I hate it. Like it's so <laughs> annoying. And then like the announcers love it so much. So much. You know, part of it has to do with like he's just like takes fantasy points away from other guys. You know, I'm I'm totally I have no problem admitting that. Um, but number two, like I mean, you know, some of the plays work out, but oftentimes, like when he's in the game, and then Drew Brees lines up as a receiver. You're playing with ten men, right? You know, I I, I just think it's like Sean Payton kind of getting a little too fancy. Taysom Hill was in on, I think 25% of the offensive plays last week. Really? You know? Yeah. And look, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, it was, it was something like just too many, you know? And, um, I, I, I don't get it, but you know, look, sometimes it has success. Sometimes it, it creates big plays and that's what people will point to, but I, I find it annoying as hell and not necessarily a plus expected value move. Evan, the last time these two teams played, Michael Thomas went off. 15 yep. targets, 12 catches, 211 yards, and a touchdown, including that 72-yard bomb that was perfectly lofted, talking about Drew Brees, over Marcus Peters. Do you think that's going to be the goal again here, Evan, to maneuver Michael Thomas matched up against Marcus Peters? Because if I'm not mistaken, they've been running a lot of zone here and and kind of have been locking in these corners to either side of the mm-hmm. field. Yeah, which doesn't necessarily align with Wade Phillips history. Definitely, you know, more of a man coverage coach historically. I wonder why they've run so much zone this year. I mean, they've been about half and half, I think, uh, over the course of the season. But it's it's a lot less man than they've played uh, or that that Wade Phillips has played historically. And they keep one, you know, they keep Talib on. Talib is the left cornerback and. Um, Marcus Peters is the right cornerback and, you know, Nickel Roby Coleman is the slot guy. Michael Thomas has a huge size advantage on Nickel, Nickel Roby Coleman. Nickel Roby Coleman is awesome. Yeah. But, but and it makes no sense small. why he got cut by the bills and like was a street free agent for a I while. Know. Like it made no sense immediately. And it also makes no sense kind of how he's so damn good. Cause he's <laughs> five, seven, <Yeah. laughs> you know, like, I don't get it. But, um, but I mean, look, you know, Michael Thomas has, eight inches on him um and michael thomas in these teams week six meeting i'm sorry week nine no he had over 200 yards and half of them were on slot routes a lot of them came against peters in okay. the slot though um and akib talib has only moved into the slot on four percent of his snaps this year so they you know they know that they can keep uh uh, Michael Thomas away from Aqib Tlaib and continue to, to pick on uh, advantageous matchups. Yeah, and a couple more things. Cooper Cup, last time these two teams played, had six targets, five catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown, including a 41-yard completion. Um, someone's going to have to pick up that slack, either it be Gerald Everett, Tyler Higby, Josh Reynolds. I mean, again, you know I like Josh Reynolds, Evan, but he certainly hasn't been, and he's not being asked to play the exact same role as Cooper Cup. Evan, as we close out here, and again, I'll have Ray and Pat on in a moment. And by the way, subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends. As we reach these final four teams, these four teams are the top four scoring offenses um, in the NFL. So Mm -hmm. not to say that we've moved past like, 
you know, defense wins championships. But Evan, could you possibly say this? Since these teams are so good on offense, could it be or the defense that plays the best of these final four will win it for these teams? Quite possibly. And it, it may come down to like, you know, who makes the most plays, like causes the most turnovers too. Yeah. You know, because turnover differential is such a big statistic in terms of uh, relative to, to wins and losses. But yeah, I mean, I think that if we were going to look at the defenses that, that are left and we were going to rank the defenses, I mean, I'd like to hear how you would rank them, but I would go Saints like Saints in their own tier. Yeah. And then probably, oof. Uh, maybe Patriots. I go. Then, I go. Saints, Patriots, Rams, Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. I think I would agree with that. But I and I'll talk about this later on with uh, Ray and Pat. The Patriots defense is kind of built differently than these other ones. You know, like these three defenses are about creating those big plays defensively, turnovers, sacks plus turnovers, when the other team is trying to keep up with the opposing offense, right? Whereas I think Evan, like the Patriots on paper, like want to be a good all around defense, you know, like they're not investing Mm -hmm. in these like individual big time players in the front seven, like, like these other teams have, you know, with Justin Houston, D Ford, Chris Jones with Aaron Donald, Adama Kong Sue with Marcus Davenport, Cameron Jordan, so on and so forth. Right. Like the, the Patriots to me try to be well balanced while these other teams might not necessarily the saints have, I guess with how much they are spending on safeties and their cornerbacks and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're very much a game plan defense, you know, yeah. and Ray and, and Pat, I'm sure we'll, we'll go heavily into that, but you know, and the saints are a little bit too, but, but not nearly as much as the Patriots and the Rams really aren't, you know, much of a, a game plan defense at this point, I don't think so. Um, and Kansas City really isn't a big game plan defense either. So, um, but and, and that's why really I would have the Patriots second because they adjust everything they do to try to contain uh, their opponent's strengths and try to really go after their weaknesses. Interesting. Um, actually, Evan, I believe the last time these two teams played, again, the Rams and the Saints, neither team got a sack. 45 to 35 shootout. Yeah. I want to see I want to see the Saints and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I, I do. That's too. what I want to see. Yeah. I do too. Thanks so much, buddy. Uh, again, you can check out Evan's matchups column up on Roto World. Goes in depth on every single relevant player on the field this weekend. And coming up right now, we have Pat and Ray. So stick with us. And welcome back. Now it's time for the AFC game, which is also on Sunday, 6:30 Eastern. God, they switch them to three and 6:30. Okay. I guess so. They do that every right. year. That's kind of stuff I always remember. I was, I'm like obsessive about like what stations own sporting rights and traditional time slots for games. So I I'm Patrick Darty, by the way, introducing myself to the. Well, this is Pat's first time on the podcast, so so Pat, welcome. I appreciate you being in joining us. It's an honor. And also for his first time is Raymond Summerlin. I don't keep track of nerdy things like that. Just the opening of the greatest movie. Pat, <laughs> do you go and look at like the network? and game map like a heat map of where each game is cut co- like showing each week no deadspin i think does a weekly article on that but i don't know i, I do not seek that out i just uh okay. just remember those just, kind of things hey hey pat right. do you seek out the the distribution pattern for dragon ball super broly do you do that <laughs> just hijacking this podcast already <laughs> by the way ray i mean okay, listen I'm not, not that there's anything wrong with that but not a dragon ball z guy like i think two other people on this podcast might be <laughs> or right after we started talking about it there was the boom 
there really was the boom in the NFL. And then like the AP wrote a story on it this week that I tagged you. In. Yeah, it's us. I'm, I'm, I'm taking I'm full stunned. credit and I'm upset that I had to bring it up because you didn't want to talk about it at the beginning, but I hijacked it and we're going to talk about it because it, this is our, we have cornered this market except that we didn't at all because nobody knows that. But in my mind, <laughs> but is Dragon Ball Z, is this like a John Wick movie, by the way? Pat. Uh, Pat, you're like my father who thought Harry Potter was a detective. <laughs> I, I'm, ho- I'm hoping. Hold on. I'm hoping you realize that was a, a joke. Uh, so does Harry Potter actually become a detective? I know Hermione does. An auror, or however you no, say. No, I think he just works for the Ministry of Magic, doesn't he? I think he becomes an auror. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Let's move on to football, gentlemen. Sunday, six thirty Eastern. New England Patriots. Five thirty Central. Kansas. God's time zone. Thank you. Ah. <sighs> New England Patriots at the Kansas City Chiefs, 55-point total. Kansas City currently favored by three points. This should be frigid temperatures, Raymond Summerlin. This is also a game that we saw take place earlier in the year. This is a repeat. This is a sequel. That game took place, I believe, on October 14th in a ridiculous 43-40 to game, which, again, the Patriots were on – no, they were at home in that one. So this is slightly different. Ray – how should we start with this? Let's start with the most important piece of this game, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Should and could the Patriots be able to slow them down? Well, you know, I, I thought about this a, a while because, you know, the Patriots defense actually looked really good last week. But it's Patrick Mahomes is is such a special kind of player that he makes good defense look bad. And we saw last week with the Colts, the Colts were able to get him – especially in that first half into a lot of situations in which they wanted him, you know, moving, moving out of the pocket under pressure, having to kind of throw back against the grain of the defense. And you know what he did? He did that. And he made a lot of plays that way. And I was actually, it's funny. I was watching the Patriots game last week and I watched them do the exact same thing to Phillip rivers. And when they did that to Phillip rivers, they were able to cover up everybody. And Phillip rivers wasn't Mm -hmm. able to make a play because he's Phillip rivers, Patrick Mahomes, uh, he's a bit of a different animal. And so it's it's so fascinating to me to think about how how are they going to try to attack him? What are they going to be able to do? Because even if they look so good last week, this is just this is just a different animal that they're going up against in Mahomes. I think the Patriots are going to do, uh, or at least they're, they're going to try to do, so they can't have a repeat of the first game. You know, the Patriots won a shootout in the first game, but I'm sure they will not be uh, aiming to repeat that formula They're going to try to do what the Chargers did to the Chiefs in Week 15, probably what the Colts maybe intended to do to the Chiefs last week, but they kept going three and out, where they're probably going to try to play a ball control offense, try to – down the stretch, you know, they kind of dabbled in bullying teams in the running game. Uh, The Patriots did that to the Chargers last week, and I think that absolutely is going to have to be the formula uh, because they just don't – no one – you can't shut down Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill – uh, at the in the same game, it's just not possible. I, th- I think it was saw a stat from the Boston Herald that only one time all year did a team successfully hold both players below seventy yards, and that was the Chargers in Week 15. Um, but the Pats know they're not going to be able to win this game the way they won the first game in October. I think it's going to be about ball control, about trying to turn it into a slobber knocker, and uh, you know, as, for reasons Ray laid out, I very much doubt they will be able to su- succeed in that, and. You know, if they do fail in that, the, the Patriots still, it's not like they're guaranteed to lose uh, if it becomes a shootout, but that will not yeah. be on their terms. And more on their terms this week is kind of going to be an old-fashioned, impose-their-will, uh, ball-control style of game. And I actually think, like, to your point, like, no, I think no. it's important to note, and we, we can talk about the Patriots' offense here in a second, but it's important to note that the Chiefs' 
run defense remains a disaster. Yes. Like last week, last week mm-hmm. you look at that and you say, well, well, why they didn't really get hurt by the running game. And it's kind of happened throughout the year. They haven't been hurt by the running game as much, but if you can get it into a good situation where you can actually pound the football against them, kind of what, you know, the, the Patriots have done or kind of did to the chargers, then you can, you can really make hay that way. If you're going to have to drop back and throw against them, against that pass rush against a secondary that is better than people give it credit for, then, then maybe not, but their run defense does. I mean, it is still bad. They gave up 5.8 yards per carry to Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines last week. So that's, that's actually a really kind of interesting Avenue for the Patriots to attack. But I mean, that means that you have to keep the game, in, in hand. Yes. And that's such, that's such a, cause there was so much focus all year about, on the chiefs burnable secondary, which like you said, especially kind of down the stretch was maybe better than people think, but chiefs, I believe were one of only two teams to allow over five yards per carry. Uh, we know they just have this insane pass rush. Uh, yeah. What, you know, what a great way to neutralize a pass rush, run right into it. A, a defense with a great pass rush that happens to have a bad run defense. And yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. Right. I'm not saying that like the chiefs defense isn't trying to be good necessarily, but the Chiefs defense lines up where like the Rams defense and the Saints defenses are in this playoff situation, right? Whereas to me, I actually think like the Patriots try to be like an all-around defense, which is, you know, tough to find nowadays. The issue with them though is their pass rush. It's and they didn't sack Patrick Mahomes the first time they played um in October. Uh Ray, picking up what Pat just said previously if i were to tell you how the patriots won this game how did they do it well i think that they they were able to keep the game close sony michelle had a had a big game and their defense stepped up again i mean their defense played really well last week um so i think that it would have to be it would have to be something like that i would think on offense they were able to neutralize the chiefs pass rush which i thought the colts had a chance last week because of their offensive line and so maybe the patriots who have been one of the best pass protecting units so in the in the league this year maybe they're able to do that they certainly have the personnel to neutralize it with kind of like the quick passing game if they decide to go that route so they're able to neutralize the pass rush they're able to run the ball and their defense is able to play kind of at the level it was last week i i mean i don't think they are underdogs as julian edelman will happily tell you with a (laughs) t-shirt that you could buy from him but like this is they're three-point underdogs on the road this is basically Vegas throwing their hands up in the air and saying this is a pick 'em. So like it's not it's not yeah. at all anything that you say they can't win. I I would say that the Chiefs are favorites for for a good reason. But yeah, I mean New England coming into Kansas City and winning, that's like that wouldn't surprise anybody. At least they aren't wearing stupid dog masks this year like we got last <laughs> or ski playoffs. masks Just, or whatever. Uh, Pat, on the other side of that, if I told you that the Chiefs win on Sunday, is it just what the Chiefs have been doing? all season in terms of putting up a boatload of points, 40 plus, and then making advantageous defensive plays in critical situations when the opposing offense is trying to keep yeah, up. Yeah. I think you laid it out perfectly. I will just, uh, I, for the Patriots to win, I agree with Ray. They got to get the run game cooking. And I'd probably say they got to erase Travis Kelsey. I think Bill Belichick will probably just admit there's no real way to erase Tyreek Hill. I think he'll probably focus on erasing Travis Kelsey and the chiefs. Yeah. I mean, not to be too cliche, too uh, simplistic about it. They just need to play their game and you know, the chiefs have to get out to a hot start. Andy Reed runs into problems. If he can't convert, he needs to, Andy Reed, his teams, they're usually a team. They need to cash in like their early scripted drives. Not that you can script like 
an entire quarter or anything like that usually. But they need to cash in on their early scripted drives. They need to get out to a hot start like they've done all year. And then, like you said, they need to make – they have to force the Patriots into kind of a track meet. And like you said, do what the Saints do. Do what the Rams do. Do what the Chiefs did this year. Maybe You don't have the best defense, but if the other team has to be throwing 40, 50 times, that's – so many opportunities for turnovers. There's so many opportunities for sacks for your amazing pass rush. And so yeah, I just think it's as simple as the Chiefs need to do what they've done all year. And I want to add that like it's so big for the Chiefs that this is at Arrowhead. That last game yes. was in New England. And this is just a completely both of these teams are just have really stark home and road splits. The Patriots scored 12.2 fewer points and gave up 6.1 more points on the road this season. And if you look at just the road kind of averages in both of those categories, they were like a middle of the pack team in both scoring offense and scoring defense on the road this season. The Chiefs gave up essentially half as many points at home as on the road. And Truly astounding. I mean, yeah. And like maybe that's noise. Maybe it is. I mean, the Patriots had a tougher schedule at home on the road, and they still performed better than they did there. They, I mean, the Chiefs have been amazing at Arrowhead for years. They have not allowed an opposing team to score 30 points in Kansas City in 34 straight games. So they've been, they've been incredible in Kansas City for a long time. So maybe it's just noise, but I think the fact that this is in Kansas City, like that should not be discounted. That is, that is a huge advantage for the Chiefs in this matchup. Well, and a critical piece the last time these two teams played to, for the Chiefs to keep up was Kareem Hunt. And it wasn't really in the running game, right? He just had 10 attempts for 80 yards. It's in the passing game. Caught five passes for 105 yards and a touchdown. I mean, big plays were there. Um, I think Damian Williams has been awesome since um, being the lead back on this team. And he's running with so much more power than we ever saw with him before. But I guess, I mean, and I'm not saying the blueprint's going to fit exactly what it was last time because you guys have laid out why there are differences now compared to those rosters. But Damian Williams, and as we've seen with this team down the stretch, has the capability of making big plays. Not necessarily like in the downfield receiving game like Hunt has had at some points during his career. Um, but yeah, Damian Williams has has that ability and has shown that he can do that um, when necessary. The thing with Patrick Mahomes, man, and like we know that the Patriots have changed up offensive game plans and how they attack teams different each and every week. I mean, you can just look at James White's box scores and see how they use him compared to certain um, opponents. Has James White ever had a playoff Patrick game Mahomes? where he caught fewer than 13 passes, by the way? <laughs> yeah, use James White in DFS this week. That's my big fantasy advice. Yeah, there's your prop bet. Um, but with Patrick Mahomes, like, we know that Andy Reid, it's, it's the perfect blend here with Mahomes in that Andy Reid can script and game plan receivers open, which is as we've seen, a major difference maker in the NFL. And so Patrick Mahomes is exceptional at finding those windows and hitting those windows accurately inside of structure. But when the structure breaks and he is forced to go off script, guess what? Patrick Mahomes is also possibly, other than Aaron Rodgers, like the best big play out of structure quarterback. He's so Rodgers-esque in that regard that it's scary. The one last week where I think he threw around his blocker (laughs) perfectly – at, at the length of of the wide receiver's arms was like... But <laughs> I don't think... No, just, this is the play you're talking about. There was a play last week. I'm, I'm going to regurgitate a tweet I had. But this is seriously what I remi- reminded me of. That's always great podcast moments <laughs> when that happens. Well, he was, on, he, was on, he was at the sideline and he threw across his body to the center of, of the field for a completion. And it just it struck me as exactly basically like... It was like a textbook Matthew Stafford interception. 
but in Patrick Mahomes' hands, instead of being a Matthew Stafford interception, it was a completion, and my mind was blown. And that's you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about Patrick Mahomes, like from his draft evaluation standpoint, because since we are in draft season, um, ish, getting close to it, and his play at Texas Tech was so unique in that it was super high variance, had to carry his team in a lot of situations. And you kind of felt like, okay, we haven't seen a player that does this, do it successfully in the NFL. Like there's, there's no easy comparison to make. So that's on one side. Then the other side is if he does this and he does it successfully in the NFL, he will transcend the position and take it to different, a different status. And that's what he's done. And that's what, I'm, I'm assuming was unpredictable and difficult to predict for a lot of these NFL evaluators out there. And well, that was kind of the point I, I made at the top when we started talking about this game is that if you, if you play defense perfectly against Patrick Mahomes, it still might not matter. And <laughs> that is like, that's disheartening. Like it's like James Harden. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the goat James Harden. Thank you. It's <laughs> go Rockets, but it's, it's yeah, it's just it's not the things that he's able to do and you mentioned a few of those plays. That was like one of a few. And they got bogged down in the second half and the Colts were able to kind of make it more of a game than the final score looks like. Uh you know, if that if that ridiculous running of the kicker call didn't happen, then we might have more of an interesting contest. But it's it's still it was fascinating to watch that first half performance and that the Colts were able to probably get him into positions they wanted him to be in and it just didn't matter. You mentioned the amazing stat earlier uh where the Chiefs have gone 34 straight games without allowing 30 points at home, and you didn't even shout out your own column. You're in Rich's, that's from your Rich's betting column. That that's from read. that's from a Rich Rebar, actually. That's not. It was even, a rich stat. It was a rich stat. But you're in the columns. What I'm saying. That's accurate. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So everyone should check and it out. Where can people find that, Ray Summerlin? On RotoWorld.com or Beta.RotoWorld.com. But but only written by alphas. <laughs> no. What's the Josh? <laughs> By the way, do you guys think it's a controversial statement? Do you think – would you say – I would have more faith in the Chiefs winning in New England than I do in the Patriots winning in Kansas City. And I'm certainly not writing off the Patriots' chances to win uh, for obvious reasons. Mostly they're too uh, like voodoo. Uh, it's kind of like transgenerational uh, boogeymen, NFL Goliaths and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But How many I, adjectives I would, do you play to throw in there? A lot, a lot. Because um, I was trying to think of the perfect one, and I never really came close to finding it. So I just <laughs> I, kept I, saying new ones. You open a thesaurus in your brain and just like go down the list. <laughs> Pretty much, that's just kind of how my brain works. Um, but uh, yeah, just like I, when you're writing a paper in high school and you highlight it and right click and just like pick <laughs> one of the names from the uh, that's a synonym. You don't just pick. You don't just pick one. You pick everyone. Right, right. Which one everyone sounds like you know most intelligent. Uh, okay. Thanks, everyone. Again, go check out Ray's column. I didn't say it before. I'll say it now. And Rich's column. They are combined into one on RotorWorld.com. Pat and I's column has never been combined on RotorWorld, so don't go read that. Uh, but thank, all, thank you all so much for tuning in, for checking this podcast out. Podcast out. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.